Welcome everybody to another special edition of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. My name's Dan. I've been a comic fan for a long time. My name is Dwayne, and I've been with the Marvel Cinematic Universe since Iron Man. All right, Dwayne. Well, here we have it. Everything makes sense now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've, we've made it to episode five. Okay, well, well, mostly makes sense. Uh, I am, I'm a little worried about Steven, uh, and one entire altar seems to still be missing so far. Uh, our protagonist is likely dead currently, which probably could be a little concerning. But I have every confidence this will get sorted out in the finale. So for now, we're going to check in uh, on Moon Knight Episode 5, check out the Realm of the Dead, explore a bit about Mark's past, and wonder whether we finally actually have a sense of what's real and what's all been in Mark's head. Boy, that would be something, right? But before we get started, please keep in mind that this is going to be a very spoiler-filled discussion. So if you have not watched Moon Knight Episode 5, Asylum, as of yet, and you don't want things spoiled for you, please pause right now and come back to us once you've seen it. Alright, there we go. Safe to get started. So, start out as usual with our one minute recap and then some initial uh, some initial thoughts on things. So, the Disney blurb for this one says, Mark and Steven search through their memories to find their truth or become left behind. So, what do you think? That's the best one sentence description we've had so far, I think. Oh, by far. It actually somewhat actually tells you what's going on in this. So... Uh, it does not tell a, you how impactful that search is going to be, though. No, there are a lot of surprises left in that. So let's go ahead and do uh, our, our minute plus recap. These are not easy to uh, do a quick recap of when it comes down to it. So Mark starts this episode, though, in Dr. Harrow's office, uh, where he does admit that his recent experiences with getting shot and meeting a talking hippopotamus do in fact sound a little bit like nonsense. Um, Tauret then informs Mark and Stephen that they are dead and that they're on their way to the afterlife. Mark realizes the psychiatric ward they're in is what Dr. Uh, Harrow has referred to as a mental organizing principle that's helping him process what's going on in his mind and attempting to sort of break out of this organizing principle. He goes through some doors and finds himself on the deck of this Egyptian ship of the dead sailing through the Duat, which is the Egyptian afterlife that looks sort of like a sea of desert sand. And Mark actually notes with a bit of relief when he sees this, and he says, I'm not crazy, I'm dead. Uh, weird thing to be happy about, but I guess <laughs> yeah, I mean. sometimes that's the way it goes. Um, Duat... Uh, Tauret then places uh, their hearts on the scales. She takes them out of his out of their body, puts them on the scales, and looks to see whether they will balance, allowing them to move on to the better part of the afterlife, the field of reeds. But kind of like it did when Harrow had tried to judge them earlier, the scales just keep swinging up and down. They never balance or stop. Tauret notes that if they can't find balance before they reach the end of their journey, they'll be thrown overboard. Mark then proposes that they just kill the hippo and steal the boat. Stephen is not up for this, 
and suggests they follow Tauret's advice instead and return to the hospital in an attempt to fill their hearts so the scales will balance. Mark sees all the people he's killed uh, for Conchu. Stephen witnesses the death of young Randall Spector, and they view their mother spiral into depression and abuse as she blames Mark for, her li for his little brother's de uh, death. This is all cut in with scenes where Dr. Arthur Harrow continues to try to help Mark and Stephen come to terms with each other. Eventually, souls start crashing into the duat prematurely, and Mark and Stephen convince Tauret to help them rescue Conchu so they can stop Amit and Harrow. Sadly, at that point, the scales are still not balanced, and when they reach Osiris's gate, Stephen is pulled overboard into the duat, and Mark is on deck screaming for the ship to stop as the scales finally balance. Tauret notes that change, and Mark is transported to the field of reeds at which point we wait for episode six. Now, what what, <laughs> what a stopping point there. And uh, yeah, now we have to wait a week for the finale. Good grief. So yeah. we've got a lot to talk about here. That Now that everyone's caught up on this story, we are going to go through some topics uh, that we've picked out from the, from the episode, and we'll go through them. In no particular order, we're going to talk about the monkey's paw, the DID origin story, Mark and Stephen's father, balancing the scales, Jake Lockley, becoming an avatar, as well as other comic book references in the show. All right, Dan, where are we starting this discussion tonight? Well, we're going to start, I think, by just a kind of a general discussion about that whole idea of sort of Wanting to see the things you love be sort of, you know, respected and and uh, and appreciated by the greater culture at large. And then the terrors and disappointments that come with actually having the things that you love turned out into a world where other people kind of get to uh, to play with your toys as well. So, one of the most exciting things that can happen for any comic fan or fan of any character or story is to find out that thing that you really love has been greenlit for a movie or a television project by Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. It's also terrifying, though, to know that it's going to be poured into that Hollywood mill because we've seen over and over again that these great and imaginative things that we love, that we've read for years and treasured, sort of get dismantled, they get sanitized, they get flattened out so that they can follow the sort of dependable... Um, what do you call it, the save the cat sort of story arc that Hollywood and television have now proven that they can make palatable and profitable to the public at large, right? Um, an example of this, it's outside of Moon Knight for me because I'm a Moon Knight fan. I've always really enjoyed it. But Foundation is something I love. The As Isaac Asimov Foundation books. I first read those when I was in grade school. And I think his sort of positive and, and technology-centered um, look at the way that the future might go has really driven kind of the way I think about a lot of things in my life. The Apple Plus Foundation adaptation from a couple of years ago nearly broke my heart because it adapted this thing I truly loved. And it did what, what to me seemed like no respect whatsoever for the story, the themes or ideas of the novels I loved so much, right? 
I hated that show with what I would call the intensity of all the sons of the Galactic Empire. Right? I, I truly that's, I that's, truly hated that show. That's a lot of hate. That's a lot there's of hate. A right lot, there's a lot of sons in the in the Empire. <laughs> but but with that, I also have to recognize that the show itself was really well made. It was gorgeous. The special effects were great. The story was engaging. The acting was good. If they'd have if they'd have done anything, if they'd have called it anything but Foundation, and they'd have called the characters anything but Harry Seldon, I would have probably loved that show. Right. Right? And so that's not fair to the show in some ways. But I think it just shows that sometimes we have set expectations about things. And even if something's good, if it's not what we're expecting, it can be really difficult, especially when really attached to that thing. Yeah. So, and I think that's what's going on to a certain extent with Moon Knight, right? This is undeniably one of the finest Marvel productions that we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, you you said you, you like Loki a lot. I think the Scarlet Witch series was spectacular. Um this may be better than both of them. I mean, especially this this episode, the impact yeah. is, is astonishing. Overall, Oscar Isaac's been magnificent. The cast, the story, the production have all been excellent. But it is different in key ways to the comics. Uh, and depending on how invested you are in those comics, or in particular interpretations or ideas in those comics, there may be some things that are really starting to boil up and frustrate you. And I think we've seen a lot of that online and in some of the interpretations and, and some of the reactions we're seeing as we're coming near the end of the season. So what do you think? So I, 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 so I, I, <laughs> I, I, I could definitely welcome to my diatribe. Yeah. I, I, so I... yeah, I don't know exactly how to respond. I, first thing I'm thinking is I better not tell you I liked the foundation TV show, oh but I, again, I, I never well, read the, I never read the books. So, it's... and that's exactly it. So here's a question for you. Uh -huh. The Moon Knight series, if you had not, and, and this is a terrible thing to ask now, yeah, when we've been inviting all these people to come with us on this journey. Right. If you had not been reading all these Moon Knight comics with me for the last three months, do you think that you would have you would have enjoyed the Moon Knight series as much or more or less? I think if I was to guess, and this is only a guess now based on this, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. I, I would agree with I, that. I feel like... The information that I've managed to glean over the course of our, us doing this each and every week uh, since the beginning of the year has allowed for for almost an enhanced viewing of the TV show. Right? It, it, I have. I, I I look at it like I'd have gotten say six, you know, seventy percent enjoyment for watching the show if I knew nothing about it, and and that's where a lot of people are going to be. Right? And then there's going and then. Like, I feel like I'm at about, you know, 85 or 90 percent because I have some backstory. I have some knowledge, some some background. And, so, and even those things are different. There, there, there are things that are different in ways that are that are not really relevant or really all that important. And so yep. it's not that big a deal to me. And and 
I feel like the, the the changes that have been made have been made with the spirit of the of the text, the spirit of the character, the spirit of the stories that we've seen taken into account. And and while you may not think that's what happened with Foundation, I feel like that's what's happening here. And so I'm getting I'm getting good vibes and feeling good and feeling like the the books just enhance my enjoyment of the show. Excellent. And I I think that in general that is true that for most moon knight fans we we might grouse a little bit about certain elements but overall this has been a really loving treatment of a character that we like and and that we care about and that when there've been changes those changes for the most part have been pretty thoughtful now i also know that it really depends you know, if you were really a big fan of Stephen Grant as the relatively, you know, um, millionaire playboyish type, or you were a big fan of Marlene, uh, if you were a big fan of Jake Lockley and the Diner and Gina, uh, if you just liked the very idea of Moon Knight as that sort of urban superhero who is wandering around New York, protecting people in, in, in the night. You're going to have a tough time with this. I mean, there there's no question that this is not the hero, this is not the story that we've been experiencing for the last 40 years. Now, they've fundamentally changed things. Uh, if you find Stephen's relationship with his dad to be a key thing that drew, drew you to the character depending on how you um, think about the relationship of the different altars to each other. Uh, there's a lot of things that potentially could really cause somebody some problems and then some heartache if they are really attached to a certain part of the character. And that's not wrong. That's just kind of the way it is with anything. Um, so... I think people's mileage is varying on this, and you can definitely see that online. All right, Dwayne. So that probably took up uh, more time than we uh, than we'd figured for our first one. You had something you wanted to visit about for our sep- second topic here. Yeah, let's let's talk about the DID origin. Uh, as as we see, Mark and Stephen attempt to reconcile their memories and balance the scales. We see the traumatic event that ultimately leads to him seeking the help of Alters as a coping mechanism now instead of the original origin in the comics that we actually just read recent very recently uh, where mark stumbles upon a rabbi friend who he considered to be family who turned out to be a nazi and was capturing and torturing jewish people we see mark and his younger brother randall go play in some cave that ends up filled with water and ultimately drowns randall uh, we see the Shiva for Randall and that Mark's mother, Wendy, blames Mark for Randall's death. Eventually, we see a scene in Mark's room where Stephen is summoned as a way to try and cope with his mother attempting to bust into the room. And when she finally does, we see it's not only verbal abuse that Mark's been dealing with. Uh, this This has to be one of the most powerful and emotional reveals that I... That, that I've seen 
in, in, in a show and it, and it really affected me. I, I'm still trying to come to terms with it. And it, it felt believable. It really, I think for the first time, humanized Mark for me. He, he kind of felt like, you know, because he wasn't that initial alter that we got, we got introduced. It, he just kind of felt like he wasn't the real starting point almost. What, what did you think of this? The departure from the original origin and, and how well, I guess, this version uh, was was in the show. I was extremely impressed. And, you know, I watched this with my wife, and she had a really tough time. Steph had a really tough time getting through this. Even even kind of leading up to it when the boys were heading off to the cave and the like, there was, there was a significant sense of foreboding all the way through it. And then right. it went from... I'm worried about these kids to watching all of the sort of decline of the mother's mental health and then the, the suffering and the, you know, the, the various abuse that, that Mark is suffering. And in terms of a, in terms of an origin story for his mental health difficulties, I think this is a much stronger story than what we had in the comics. Yeah, because the comic story is really, when it comes down to it, very confusing. It is very dark, but it also is not fleshed out all that terribly well. In some ways, this is a far more straightforward, uh, and and I think it also, while it's extremely dark, it leads us down a path where we don't need as much resolution. I mean, if you if you go with the original origin, then somehow Ernst has to get punished. You have yeah. to get to a resolution some way and that's an entirely different story um so yeah i think this was incredibly powerful really well done and i i found the the bemis origin story to be distasteful enough and especially the resolution of it in yeah. the way that ernst and the society de Sadiq and all of that sort of tied back in later that I'm I'm perfectly happy with this change. Yeah, uh, it it was yeah so so well done. It it felt like I could see this situation playing out. I could see all this happening, and uh, and just as a side note, man, that Tomb Busters movie proved to be way more important than we thought it was. So with that just that yes. little snippet in in episode four, we got Randall has a nickname Roro that I think may have come from that there, you know, the kids are playing that tomb busters and Mark is Steven Grant as they're walking towards this cave. And it's just, and then the, when, when danger is near Steven Grant has no fear on the poster in his room. It's just heart, heartbreaking stuff to watch. And, and I, I just, I think it was very well done and, and agree that it's, it, it was a way to wrap that story up in a, a, or explain it in a way that didn't require lots of other episode time in order to 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 re to resolve it. Yeah. The fish on the wall I thought was heartbreaking. Yeah. The, the, how how do you end up with the fish that that he drew on the day that he dies on the kid's wall? You know, it's just like a constant reminder. Yeah. Um, overall, though, yeah, that was. Just really well done, and I think that 
you know, as we as we move in, you just sort of start seeing how these all, these things all layer on top of each other and kind of circle back. And it also we find out that that's where the accent comes from. It's a kid mm-hmm. doing an accent of a cheesy B movie with a guy with a with a bad English accent. That that's where yep. that accent comes from. So just so many so many just wonderful touches on that but a heartbreaking story nonetheless nope all right so where are we going to now uh, i want to talk just a little bit about mark and steven's dad um and some of the changes so you know they they did i think in a lot of ways the changes to his origin and to his dissociative um break were really well done sort of in a vacuum uh, there are a lot of folks who are having kind of a, a tough time dealing with how the show changes Mark Spector's relationship to his dad. And that's because in the comics, you do have them being a more traditional Jewish family than they are uh, in, in the television show. And his father being an actual rabbi and having a very strong sort of uh, nonviolent belief system where there were people who were sort of heaping abuse at them and stuff like that, and he would be, no, we're not going to do anything. And Mark was always like, why aren't we doing something about this? Because he was he was wanting to solve, you know, by, by striking back and the like. And that eventually causes the break between the father and the son. And in the comics, Mark leaves home because his father sort of throws him, away, throws him out after he punches him while uh, his father tries to break up a boxing match he's in and so it's just a complete swap in terms of you know the mom in the comics doesn't even have a name it's a, a very minor character right. and the father is sort of the central figure there all right so uh what do you got here what's uh, what's the next one on the on the list sir so let's talk about the balanced scales now mm. early on we see that the scale she pulls Tarette pulls the hearts out of Stephen and Mark, puts them on the scales, and the scales don't balance. I was sure, as I'm sure a lot of people were, that the reason they weren't balanced is because they had not accounted for Jake Lockley yet. That would have been I, my that, thought. That in, Absolutely. And, and in retrospect, that probably was too easy an answer, you know? When you're talking about a show like this, it feels like that would have been a little too obvious. So, instead, obvious or sensible? Well, Sometimes those are similar things. Anyway, yes, sure. Proceed. So we had, so we had this, you know, Mark and Stephen talking, and we're getting these reveals about Martha. Uh, you know, what happened during Mark's childhood, mother's death, and and the specifically the mother's death that ultimately led to Stephen being the primary altar for the last two months. Except after they've done all this, the scales still don't quite balance. So Mark and Stephen are judged unworthy and the spirits of some of the people that Mark killed as Moon Knight attempt to take him off the ship. But it was Stephen that ends up falling off the boat attempting to help Mark and is frozen and then at that exact moment, we have the scales f- 
finally balancing and Mark gets sent to the field of reeds. Uh, This was, this again was just so difficult to watch. I, I, I don't know what to think about what I just saw there because it, it feels like causality, right? It feels like, well, Steven's gone. Now the, the scales are, are, are balanced. Does that mean he doesn't need the altar anymore? Is, is Steven gone? Are we not seeing him anymore? I, I, you know, it's, we, we still don't know anything about Jake Lockley or, or where, where that's coming from, but it, it's, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think of that. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to watch. And, and ultimately I think it, that ending was why this is one of the best episodes of television the MCU has ever produced. What, what did you think of that, that last few minutes? I, I will admit I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit confused about the last few minutes because it almost, if you read it in a linear fashion, it's almost like in order to make it to paradise, Mark had to somehow almost purge himself of his altar. Yeah. Right. He had to, he had to somehow, you know, almost like, like, um, it's, it's not so much that he's absorbing him, but, but essentially destroying him. And that I don't think makes sense in terms of the way that I've learned about the idea while we've been, uh, doing this show or just in terms of what I think is fair for Steven. I mean, I, I want him, I want him back. Right. Plus we still have, we still have Lockley and accounted for, there's gotta be something else going on there. I, I don't get the causality, whatever it is. I, unless it's just that the two of them finally learned to care about another each other enough that one of them was willing to give himself up for the other. Maybe there's something there. along those lines. That but, makes sense. But in any case, somehow we got to get Steven back out of the sand. And I don't know how that's going to be done. Yeah. So, yeah. it's uh, it's That part confuses me. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I mean, it's all heartbreaking and it is, it is really well done and I'm okay with it being confusing because confused is my standard. Yeah. It's my default setting right now. That, that does seem to be the case. (laughs) By the way, rewind all the way back to episode one and the, the little discussion between Stephen Grant and the girl in the museum and she goes... Did it hurt being rejected by the field of reeds? And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not dead. Five episodes later, we see kind of that thing happen. And it's just, oh, my God. It just it just floored me. It absolutely floored me. Well, and the, the horrible thing about that is it's that is the one thing right now that continues to haunt me because it throws sort of a question into everything still because it's almost like episode one still is happening with foreknowledge of episode five. Yeah. And so what's going on now? There've been, there've evidently been people online who think that, um, the the little girl is, is an avatar of some sort or that there's some other, you know, supernatural reason that she's going to come back and be a part of things. 
I have no idea what's going on, but it does worry me. And I, I would be a little bit unhappy if that never gets explained. Yeah. Because for her to say something like that, and it just being some weird little girl <laughs> asking yeah. about, you know, did yeah. it hurt when you died to some person she, you know, she's talking to in a museum, is that would be a little too pat for me. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just hoping we find out what's up with that. I'm, I'm assuming they have to go back to that. I I am joining the the legion of people on Twitter that are calling for Stephen to somehow uh, be back within the the body be for for episode mm-hmm. six at some point because yeah he he is he is a nice character and it would be a shame if that was the last time we saw him. Yep. All right. I think I think you wanted to talk about Jake Lockley a little bit. Yeah, so we've got one we've got one of our main three altars who has been thrown off the boat. We have another one who's been, or at least one of our, our main sort of mental sparring partners for Mark, who has been dumped into a little stone idol and we didn't see him at all. <laughs> and we have one who's evidently still locked in a sarcophagus and we haven't seen at all. So you've got all of these, uh, all of these altars and and characters that should sort of, in in a normal Moon Knight world, be wandering around, and you know for we've got a long history of those three different altars going well back to I believe before the term altars was even in common usage, right? Right, um, and Moon Knight has really only seen two thirds of them so far. Uh, season is nearly over, so it's a little bit mystifying and concerning. So, why no Jake so far? Uh, some people are saying they think he's going to end up being like an Easter egg at the end. I think some people are still hoping that he comes out sort of in uh, in full warrior mode and somehow or another saves the day by defeating a, a small army of goons or something like this. But in any case, it is it is definitely a little bit uh, a little bit weird. I do hope they don't try and save him for a season two or something like that. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, and on also it was weird because we didn't really have Moon Knight in our Moon Knight episode. Uh, the only time we saw the costume was him getting the, uh, essentially getting the costume initially during the origin. I think maybe this was the fact that they just decided that it would get a little too difficult to keep the narrative if they had three Oscar Isaacs to keep track of instead of two when they were doing all of this. But we'll, we'll see how it all works out as we go along. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking immediately after I was watched the episode and I, as, as sacrilegious as this idea might be, I'm not entirely sure that that Jake Lockley is important to the story that they've told. Like, from the standpoint of, like, does he... Do I want him there? Yes. Does he need to be there for this to be resolved in a way that will be satisfying? I don't actually think so. I, I don't think I would. He... I would even go farther than that. I think that for people who haven't read the comic books and don't know who Moon Knight is, the appearance of a major new altar in the last episode 
that somehow then we have to figure out who he is and how he works within this system is probably something that would just melt people's heads and end right. up being counterproductive. I think with with the story the way they've told, they're almost stuck not giving Lockley anything but a um but kind of a cameo role. Sure. And I've been terrible enough on my production or my predictions. I have just guaranteed <laughs> He's that from the first scene of, of episode six, Jake Lockley is going to be going ham on people <laughs> for 45 minutes. So there you go. You're so, welcome, Jake Lockley fans. So so I will say this, though. When we see when we see Mark Spector the very first time, when he's got the, the bandage on his nose, his, his face is all kind of beat up and bloodshot, he's talking kind of weird in, in a voice that does not sound like Stephen. It does not sound like Mark. And he, like, gets very agitated and picks up the pyramid and kind of threatens Harrow and then kind of threatens himself before he gets, Mm -hmm. he gets sedated. Maybe we've seen Jake. Yep. I would, I would agree with that. Actually, not the first time. I think it's closer to the middle or even the, the later part of the episode when, yeah, he, they, they say something about go and talk to the, you know, go and talk to him about the boy or something like this. And that's the point where, it looks like maybe Jake comes out and he's got this much more almost like a, a Brooklyn accent that he yeah. uses kind of thing. And he's got a, a much, much bolder kind of, it, it's relatively easy to tell Yeah. that again, because as Oscar Isaac does appear to be brilliant, that there is a different person there <laughs> yeah. that hopefully it could be Jake. But I mean, even if it is, we haven't really gotten any kind of indication of, how he's going to fit into the uh, the final resolution of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is we see three faces at the end of the show coming out of Moon Knight's head, like, you know, three profiles. Right. So it it seems obvious that they they did read the comics. They know that Jake Lockwood exists. <laughs> yes. He's going to be there somewhere. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I would say there's a good chance we got about 30 seconds of him in this one. All right, so Dwayne, we've uh, we've covered most of the rest of the things here. You want to talk a little bit about the origin scene that they they dropped in for us? Yeah. So in this episode, we finally see the origin of Mark Spector as Moon Knight, and I have to say, I think as far as live action remakes go, this was phenomenal. It really really felt like the origin story from way back in moon knight volume one issue one you know obviously there were some small adjustments that were made some things that that were said and and like location of things and that 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 were different but by and large this felt pretty true to that original thing original scenario right hostages killed by bushman Mark disagrees, tries to stop it, gets wounded, left for dead, crawls into a temple with a large Khonshu statue, and instead of dying, he's reborn as the Fist of Vengeance. The 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 look of the moon, the the freaking transformation was absolutely mm-hmm. epic to me. And you know, in this episode where there was so much going on and it was so emotionally draining to see all this other stuff get revealed. I 
I think going into this series, one of the things every Moon Knight fan was looking forward to is seeing that origin, right? Seeing him become become Moon Knight for that very first time. And it it really did hit. Like I think mm-hmm. they really did a fantastic job. It just kind of gets lost in the narrative because of everything that was packaged around it. What what did you think of of that? Being this big Moon Knight fan for so very long, what did you think of that? So, I mean, the the first things are that it was definitely something where they, you know, they decided to fast forward to the point where most of the action is done. So it's nighttime, everybody's already dead, and Spectre has sort of drug himself into this temple. So they did avoid some of the violence. We didn't actually get to see Bushman. So I would say that, you know, being able to have seen him and Bushman have their confrontation, that would have been kind of nice. Yeah. I, 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 do, I do believe that that would, have been, that would have been nice. But I think that, again, this was more of a... It was, it was more about resolving things that have happened than than seeing that sort of stuff and so i it makes sense why it wasn't an action scene there um also you know obviously in in all the comic references marlene slash layla is there we know why she's not now because she didn't know about the fact that specter had any part in her dad's death and the like so she wouldn't have been there when he's resurrected and the like uh but yeah i think that it looked spectacular and they took enough cues. I think that even the temple and, and the statue and some of those things, there are probably, if we can go back and take a look, I started to take a look, uh, I think pretty decent visual sort of comps mm-hmm. in a lot of the comics from various origin retellings for a lot of the things we saw there. So they were pulling visually as well. And yeah, I I really liked it. And I think that... More and more, Marvel has stopped doing the origin story where they just start this linear narrative and and tell the origin that way. And the fact that they just sort of dovetailed it in as a part of his his sort of longer psychological origin story was really nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolute kudos. I loved it. All right. Let's jump into a few of the references from the comics that we saw besides just that great uh becoming the avatar uh we had randall specter we we you know he was obviously much different in the comics than we saw him in the show uh Mm -hmm. but but we did talk about the possibility that we might see randall specter so uh check check mark to us there for that uh bandage on mark's nose while he was in harrow's office is definitely a reference to the lemire smallwood run that that has been so instrumental in the in in this story i mean it it looks just like the the panels from the comics it's great uh putnam medical facility in chicago illinois that is directly out of the comics that is the uh psychiatric hospital that mark's father sends him to uh when he starts showing signs of did in the comics that exact uh medical facility and chicago illinois is where where he's from in the comics uh finally doug perlin is listed on the (laughs) tomb busters poster in mark's childhood room 
which is yet another nod to Werewolf by Night, which we've had a bunch of them. Uh, that is the combination of Doug Mensch and Don Perlin, who were the original writer and artist for Werewolf by Night that created uh, the Moon Knight character. So yep. there were there were a bunch of stuff. And, and that whole bedroom is a treasure trove of references to other things in the show and, and things like that. You mentioned Gus, the Gus picture uh that that randall was doing that was in the on the wall in there as well so there there were probably a few more um but but those were the the big ones that jumped out to me and for those of you who are uh feeling particularly bad for young randall there there is the fact that literally dozens of nurses will now get to continue living their life because of the fact that he does not make it to adulthood and become an axe murderer so there is there is that in any case, uh, he is not nearly as cute and lovable in the uh, in the comics as he is in the television show. So, um. so let's look ahead to next week. Sure. Um, next week, we're going to start off by just noting we have no idea. I have no idea what to expect from no. the television show in week six, except that somebody made a. Uh, I was thinking there was a post on Twitter that someone's like, the, the announced length of the final episode is three and a half hours or something <laughs> like that. Because it needs to be, right? Yeah, yeah. There just is so much to do. Um, we'll see what goes on. But we will be back here. We'll, uh, we'll be back to, to visit with you about it. Next Tuesday, we're going to have our look at the Avengers Conchu War books from a couple of years ago as we near the end of our review of, of the Moon Knight comics. And then as next Friday, we'll come back to talk about the final episode of Moon Knight Season 1. Which is weird that we are now, what, five days? It's five, six days from the end of this odyssey. Yes. We've been waiting for these for this show for a long time. Now it's almost over. That is going to bring us to the end of our Episode 5 review. We want to thank you all for joining us again. We'd love for you to stick around as we continue our journey through the story of Moon Knight. We recommend you subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you've already subscribed, please consider leaving us a review. It will help others find the show. You can send us questions or comments via email. That address is questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at phasesofmk. Oh man, it's going to be tough to top episode five, but I am looking forward to the finale. Yes, yep. That uh, this has been one of the one of the better hours of Marvel television, and now they got to come back and improve on it to even uh, kind of stick the landing even better. And I believe they're going to do it at this point. So we'll see how it goes. Until then, take care, everybody. All right. Yep. Have a great one, folks. Mm-hmm.